Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. Nothing has changed since this meeting started. I'm still Pamela, and I'm still a compulsive overeater. And thank you so much, Ellie, for asking me to speak. It's such an honor to be here. And this meeting has, I think this meeting was the second meeting I ever went to when I joined OA. When I joined OA and when I got abstinence, let's get rid of some of that information. So I came to OA in 1994. And okay, getting abstinence. I now have 28 years of abstinence. And I count that from April 15th when I first came in the program. And just for you people that are new, let me tell you how I worked it. So I came in and I said, I know my problem is sugar. I should give up sugar and I should probably give up wheat and pasta and flour. And of course, that was going to be my rah-rah new thing. And I couldn't do it at all. I think I went four days. So I said, I'm 50 years old. Enough already of this starting over. I am your professional yo-yo. I have been on every diet on the planet three times. Once as a rock star, the second time I passed, and the first time I failed miserably. And I've done you know, pregnant women urine, to a million different cleanses. I I have done a million things. Well, maybe not, maybe only a hundred thousand to actually try to control my weight because I thought my problem was my weight. And, And so when I first came in the program, I couldn't do anything except three meals a day. I just could not, I tried to give up certain substances. I said, I'm 50 years old. It's too old to start over. I'm going to do this thing and I'm just going to keep going. So when I started, took when I was eating, ate some ice cream, I said, you know what? I'm going to have three meals a day and a snack. And that's what I'm going to have. And that's what I did. And I probably did that for a couple of years. Well, I'll tell you exactly how long I did it. So I came in the program and I declared myself abstinence because I had a sponsor. I was working the steps and I, I think I did three meals a day and my food had to fit on the plate and the plate had to be like a dinner plate. It couldn't be a turkey platter. Okay, so that's just what I did. And I had two snacks and a snack was declared as eating one item or everything had to be in the same food group. I couldn't have a fruit, a vegetable, uh, a rice. That was a meal. You know, just one food group, just one basic food group is what my snack was. And so then I went from April 15th, 1994 till July 5th of 1998 when I gave up sugar. And it was, I guess, when God wanted me to, I kept wanting to. And I went to a healer, a yogic healer, who was a Mexican shaman. And I said, I feel terrible, blah, blah, blah. And he said, for five days, no sugar 
and no bread. And from that day on, I never took sugar back. It was just the time it was meant for me to happen. Now, you're going to say that really sucks. It took you three years. I mean, my God, I can't afford that. But I'm free. Free at last. I am free of sugar and following it in that was 1998. In 2000, I gave up wheat. And in 2001, I gave up gluten. And those things are not a problem. You can put any of the things, you know, a hot fudge, scent, oh, any item in front of me. And if it's not on my list, I don't eat it. And you know what else I do? Oh, so I heard people say when they when I came to my meeting, first of all, I, I weigh and measure everything. I said, my God, these people are so compulsive. I would rather be fat and weigh and measure my stuff. So then I hear at another meeting, it's getting near the holidays. Somebody said, I'm going home to my family of origin for Thanksgiving. There's a million triggers there and they have all the food that sets me off. I'm going to take my food on the airplane. I thought I'd rather be fat than bring my food on the airplane. I mean, really, this is these people are totally crazy. And what happened two years after that? I'm standing in the line at the airport to go through the, the x-ray machine. And all of a sudden, the man says, stand back. Everybody stand back. Ma'am, come over here. We're going to open this up. They thought that I had explosives in my carry-on. No, frozen food. Okay. You know, because I don't know where I was going, but I knew if I brought my tofurkey sausages, if I was starving and thought I was going to die, I was going to get my protein. I was going to remain a vegetarian. I wasn't going to eat any of the things I'm not supposed to have. And I took them along. He said, ma'am, next time, take them out of the bag. When we see them inside, it looks like an explosive. Anyway, so, you know, man plans and God laughs. So there you go. Um, that's just the beginning of the story. So what was I going to say? I, um, I got a sponsor. So try to get a food plan, try to define an abstinence. You don't have to be perfect, but you need to get time. And I wear my abstinence like a loose cloak. It uh, doesn't restrict me. It doesn't confine me. It doesn't punish me. It keeps me safe and it supports me. And that's what I do with my abstinence. And I'm not going to give it up. And it, I, I always tell the story of a sponsee. She said, oh, my God, I'm at the beach and I have a half eaten ice cream thing here and a half eaten frozen dessert over here. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? I said, well, now we're going to get to the important question. Do you have a cooler with a five-gallon ice cream item in it that you're bringing home? No. Okay. Well, that's good. So you made a very, very poor choice for your lunch. But, you know, life is full of good choices, bad choices. We're not perfect. We are not perfect. So you may have made a bad choice. Are you done with them now? Yes. I said, okay, why don't you commit to me right now what you're having for dinner? And that'll be it. And we'll just move on. Get back on the horse. Don't give up. Don't keep starting your abstinence. 
That's my story. I guess, oh, well, I will tell you the real truth. So I was in program about two years and I wasn't quite on the no sugar thing. And I think I've mentioned I'm a professional yo-yo. When I did my first, first step, it said, write down your eating behaviors. And I wrote down every diet I've been on. When I was 10 years old, I did pears and cottage cheese. I lost, I started at this weight. I ended at that weight. And at the last column is how much weight I lost because I'm a computer nerd person. And that's the kind of thing I do. I make tables and graphs out of everything. And when I got done, I looked at that last column, 685 pounds I gained and lost in the first 50 years of my life. And I really did not want to repeat that. I did not want to repeat that. So I do the best I can. So when I came into program, I had been starving and doing these cleanses. And I mean, they were all cockamamie diet ideas, but I said they were for my health. And uh, so when I came in, I was probably 10 pounds more than I weigh now. But after a couple months or a couple years, my weight had gone up and I gained 15 to 20 pounds. And so I just decided that this is when my entire program changed and when my life changed. I looked at myself and I said, you know, I used to weigh 225. I remember saying before program, God, if I could just be 170 or 165, I, I, I would be happy. I don't want to be over 200. And, and I don't weigh that now. So I decided I did not like the weight I was at and that I was going to have ponder but I was going to accept it, but I needed to interact with my higher power. So I said, dear God, I'm at the wrong weight. You don't seem to understand. I would like to be a size eight or a size six. I think that's the size I'm supposed to be. And now I'm a 12. And all of a sudden I thought about it. And I said, you know, I keep, people keep saying, I want to be in the middle of the path. And when I look at the dress rack at Macy's, the sizes go from size zero to size 20. Oh my God, size 10 or 12 is in the middle of the pack. Why am I kvetching? I don't need to be a model. I'm 55 years old, enough already. Let me just be healthy. And I said, okay, God, okay, I will agree to be whatever weight you want to be with me, but I'm going to ask you to take a refresher course in women's sizing. And so God agreed to do that. And God came back and there was no change in the story. So I said, that's it. I'm just going to be this size. And I size 10. I do not need a seatbelt extender. I'm, I'm okay. I can get by. And it's a real blessing. And so that's kind of that's kind of how my weight has worked for those of you that are new or, or aren't new. That's how I kind of came into the program. One of the things I did right away, and I highly recommend this, and it's getting a sponsor. Now, you can do it like I did, the super compulsive lady who asked her friend 
who was in AA, if she could recommend someone, because it was really important that I had the perfect sponsor, okay? And I interviewed her. I interviewed a couple people. I chose her. I went to the meeting she said to go to. Six weeks later, she says, you know, I don't think I'm really a compulsive overeater. I'm going to go to Al-Anon. And there you have it. Man plans, God laughs. So what can you do? So I decided that the, the process of finding the perfect sponsor was perhaps not the route to go. And I remember maybe two weeks later, I was, oh, the next week I heard somebody speak at a meeting. It was a guy and he said, no, I don't take women's sponsors. So I thought, oh my God, do you not want me to have a sponsor? What's going on? And all of a sudden I went to a meeting and there was this lady who was fantastic. And I loved her. I loved her sense of humor. I loved everything about her. And she became my next sponsor. And she was really great. But remember, I've been in this program for 28 years. So 25 years ago, we didn't have cell phones. And if we talked to somebody 100 miles away, we had to pay for long distance. Does anybody remember that? Aha. So she moved. And I was not about to pay for long distance every day. So I got another sponsor who was really fantastic. She was a big book thumper. And she got me doing the steps using all kinds of really doing a solid time of the steps. So you've heard me talk. I became abstinent. It didn't happen overnight. But I got a food plan. I started weighing and measuring my food. I got a sponsor. And the third thing I did that was really important in my recovery was doing service. I'm an outgoing person. I like to control everybody and everything. I'm sure nobody can relate to that. So it was really good. I did all this service and I got to tell people what to do. I thought I was just the cutest thing on the planet. But you know what I did? I made a lot of friends. I have people to this day who say, I remember we had a Region 2 convention and you came up to San Francisco and helped us with it. And I just have all these millions of people everywhere who really, really care about me, who really helped me out. So I got in the program because I couldn't stop eating. I was a night eater. I was a sugar addict and I gave up finally one day at a time. I got rid of the sugar. I got rid of the flour. I got rid of the gluten. I started out with a sponsor. It wasn't a perfect relationship. It went up and down. I have a sponsor now I've had for maybe 15 years and she's local on top of everything else and just wonderful. And so that's five minutes. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about what's happening this very moment and where my program fits in. So in June, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, stage two breast cancer. And I didn't quite know what to do about it, but I learned a lot of things in this program. And it's we don't keep secrets. We ask our higher power. And for me, Everything that happens in life is a gift. That's my mantra. Everything that happens in life is a gift. When it comes in the Tiffany bag with the nice bow, we say, oh, thank you. I love that gift. 
when it shows up in the in the recycled Trader Joe bag that has a little grease on the side, we're saying, do I want that? So I've kind of looked at my situation as something that's going to, as a gift. I have a gift. Uh, one person was uh, uh, someone who's in more of a Buddhist type culture said when he got his cancer, he said, oh, that's not something God did to me. That's something God did for me. This is a way I can grow. And so that's kind of the way I'm looking at it. And all the things you taught me in program, I'm doing right now. I didn't want to tell anybody. I felt ashamed. I wanted to hide. And But I posted on Facebook, not the first day. I didn't announce it at a meeting. I might have said it in the chat before or after a meeting, but I never got up and announced it. But I announced it on Facebook and I got hundreds of people replied. And I have people all over the place were bringing me food, offering me rides. It's all because of this wonderful program. You are my new extended family. No, I'm not saying you're my only friends. I'm saying, but announcing it on Facebook got neighbors. One neighbor does my shopping. Another neighbor said she's going to bring me to radiation. What more could you ask for? But what I'm feeling is this is a time for me to learn and grow. This is not what God, this is something, this is not what God did to me. This is an opportunity that I've been given to share my recovery. I feel fantastic. I never felt better. And I do all the things that you're supposed to do. But I really feel. And, and it's really funny there. I go to support groups. I listen to, I listen to support things. I mean, I'm, I'm active in what's going on. And so many of them say, empower yourself. Get a connection to a higher power. Get a support group reach out to other people. I mean, I, I don't want to bring it in, but I have 90% of those. I'm taking care of them. And in my support group, when people were saying how they felt, the leader finally said to me, Pamela, why do you always sound so positive? Why do you always sound so great? And I said, I don't know. I have this program. And I finally admitted to them I was in a 12-step program. And this is how it takes, you know, this is how we live. We take everything as a gift. We give back as much as we can. We help as much as we can. We don't give up. We trust. What does my sponsor say? God is everything or God is nothing. And that's the way it is. God is everything and God is in charge of this. And I have to tell you that my worst character defect is around money, fear of financial insecurity. And let me tell you, they told me I had cancer. I said, oh, well, that's a gift. I can probably deal with that. Let me look what I should be eating. You know, should I change? What, what should I change in my life? I can do that. I did all these things. And then the plumber told me, that there was a leak and it was the water was running out. My bill was going to be great and it was going to be hundreds and hundreds of dollars. I got depressed. So am I cured of everything? No. 
my basic character defect, which is fear of financial insecurity, I still have to struggle with. But I must tell you the best story. And that is that I don't have to have chemo. Isn't that great? I'm having a new drug, which far surpasses chemo, but it's a new drug. And so we all know chemo, which we, which, you know, our parents were on chemo five generations ago, they were doing this damn chemo. The chemo don't cost nothing. It's all generic. It's all $3, you know, tier one generic, but the brand new drug, $15,000 every 28 days. And so Okay, I'm just going to finish. I called my insurance agent and he said, "Eh, it'll be about $1,200 a month the way your insurance works. And so I accepted it. I surrendered. And what happened? I... UCLA doctor contacted me. I said, you know, you're doing great. I'm happy to work with you. My pocketbook is having heart palpitations over the cost of this drug. I'm getting it for free. UCLA arranged for me to get it for free. So God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Thank you for letting me share. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember the opinions of the leader are my own and not of Overeaters Anonymous of a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. If you have a question, click the raise your hand icon. And if somebody can help me look for those. I see Melissa. Ah. Hi, Melissa. Um, Melissa, compulsive eater, food addict. Pamela, thank you so much. Can you tell us what your daily spiritual routine looks like? Thank you. Okay. My daily spiritual routine is not what I wish it was would be. I wish I would sit for three hours in meditation. But what I do is I get up. Before I get up and rush to the restroom, I do thank God that I'm alive and have another day to look forward and ask to be given all the guidance that I need for that day. Then somebody that's here now sends me these readings. It's, a, it's for today and it's for some other 12-step books. And I always read that. That's the way that I start my day after I'm kind of half awake and sit back in bed, but not, not sleeping anymore. Um, I try to move my body and do what's called a, a meditative breath walk. I'm not perfect at it, but I get off. I get out of, I stop reading my book. I stop watching TV and I walk, and during my walk, I do a meditation. I do a lot of meditation when the spirit arises. If I get a phone call, if something happens, I just stop. I don't do a real lot of it. Um, I'm going into radiation now, and let me tell you, radiation is the perfect place to do meditation because you can't talk, and I'm a talker. I want to talk, 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 talk. That's, That's my thing. So 
I was in there and I thought, oh, I got the best meditation. They told me I wasn't moving, but it's because I wasn't talking. And because I was meditating, my whole body slowed down. I try to slow my body down a couple times a day. It doesn't have to be anything deep, but it just has to be stopped. And although I love God and God runs my life, I just do not have the wherewithal to do overall God things, although God is the most important thing in my life. But I do a lot of loving things. I do things outwardly for people. And I do things inwardly where I take and I just, I try to do a meditation where I slow my entire system down and just open it up to whatever I need to know, whatever I need to learn. Because on my own, I'm totally lost. Thank you. Next. Uh, Madison. Hi, good morning. Uh, Madison, recovering anorexic bulimic. Um, so when you notice that the need to control is coming up, maybe some like slight behaviors are kicking up. What are some tools that help you like in the moment or on the spot? Okay, I always say that the 10th tool of Overeaters Anonymous should be bite your tongue. You know, you know that old adage of, of count to 10 before you open your mouth. Why don't you just bite your tongue for a while? Anything that needs to be said now can be said in five minutes or five days. So that's the hardest thing I have to do. I just kind of bite my tongue and smile and shake my head. And people really like that as a response. And that just, yeah, bite my tongue. That's my, that's my, that's a, a tool I use very frequently. Actually, Pam, I have a question for you. And I don't see any hands raised right now. Um, can you describe your concept of a higher power and how that relates to any other concept of higher power you may have outside the program, if you do. A higher power <clears throat> is actually part of me. I have a mantra that says, God, God and me, me and God are one. So there is an elevated, intelligent, spiritual, loving, caring part of me that will lead me in the right direction. God runs my life, my everything I have to ask God about. But I don't, at this point in time, my specific religion is kind of on a back burner because there have been some allegations and some misconduct and it's fractionalized my whole group, but I'm still able to keep my God, that part inside of me. And I think when in doubt, I try to just come from caring, empathy, and understanding. I just, the most important thing about God, it's not me. What did one of those sayings, the difference between God and us is God never wants to be us. So I just have to remember, I'm not God. I don't want to be God. And whatever comes, whether it's good or bad, I mean, 
getting $15,000 a month was a good deal. Getting cancer might not have been the best deal, but I have to accept it all as a gift from my higher power, a gift from that entity that, you know, causes the rain to fall, the ocean to have waves, all of that stuff I can't do. And, and I really, really have to not only honor that thing that controls it, but I have to honor that part of me that is part of that God consciousness because I too can have a God conscience. Thank you. Thank you. And I see Bonnie. I thank you so much, Pamela. That was beyond inspirational. Um, do you still go to a meeting every day? Not every day. I probably do about four meetings a week. Um, I'm a secretary at one, although some wonderful person has stepped up to help me because I because of my diagnosis. And but I attend it. I open the meeting, I close the meeting. She's just there in case someday the radiation, I, I don't know what my health is gonna be like. So far I've been pretty good, but yeah, I, so I'm secretary at a meeting and I go to this meeting and I go to, I go to about four other, three or four other meetings. Thank you. Is what I do. I see Bob. Hi, Pamela. Thank you for your share. Um, I know you touched on it, but how has service helped you uh, in this program? How has it improved your program? Oh, my God. That's okay. So when I first came to the program, I remember people would say, when I first came to OA, I sat, I got, I came in late. I sat in the back seat. And as soon as it was over, I ran out the door. I said, I'm too tough for that. I got my, I got my doo-doo together, okay? I'm going to come early and leave late and show these people that I know I have it together because I'm cool. So what I do, I didn't want to talk to anybody. God forbid someone would say, how is your day going or how is your food been? I don't want to talk about that. So I started putting out the chairs, okay? I put out the chairs. I emptied the trash, whatever, and then I just had to say, do we have three or four rows of chairs? Do I use the outside trash can? What do I do in the restroom? I mean, I just did service like that. And everybody thought I was really great. Everybody knew my name and everybody thought, oh, she's so nice. I wasn't nice. I was scared. And so, but because I'm a talker and a controller and a leader, I got into leadership positions quite soon. I think my sponsor made me be the lifeline rep because I love to talk. And I would say something cute about lifeline. That was my first thing after doing the chairs. And then, and then I think I was a delegate and I went to intergroup meetings. And then I was as an alternate to the region two. And then I got on the region two board of directors and I worked on, I must've worked on about four or five birthday parties. I did a lot of region two conventions. I did the international convention. Uh, OA as a, had it for our 50 years. I was the local person for that. So I don't know. I just did service and it just humbles me. Okay, the part of me that 
has a character defect or two, likes to be shouting out orders, being in control, telling people what to do. But the other part of me has that, what that has given me is a circle of friends. When I said I had cancer, this girl remembered me from a convention. I have no idea. I barely remember her, but you know, it, it really, it's really what makes this program strong. Doing that service, other people see you. And you know, when you are in the act of giving, your heart is wide open. And then people plug into that energy and they say, oh, she's so nice. They don't know I'm really a B-I-T-C-H and I want everything my way. That's but five they, minutes. they see me there. They see me helping. And uh, so I would tell any of you, just start doing something. Do service in your life. Do service in your program. Just do service. You know, every time you open your hand to help somebody else, your higher power fills it with things that are beyond your comprehension. Thank you. All right, Ellie. Hi, Pam. Thank you so much. Um, you know, uh, we all have stresses in our lives and some people choose to use food as their solution. In this particular instance, how has your cancer affected your food? And I know it hasn't. Why hasn't it? Yeah. No, it hasn't affected my food. Okay. And I forgot to tell this story before, but this is a really good story, especially for newcomers. So, you know, I'm at the weight God wants me to be. I don't understand how it works, but I decided before surgery that I was going to gain 10 pounds. And I even went on a vacation. I didn't, I didn't bring my scale with me. And, you know, I felt like I just went crazy for a week. And let me tell you, I got on the scale after the week. It was the same. So the first thing for you to know is the correlation between what you put in your mouth and how much you weigh doesn't happen overnight or even a week. I think it was two weeks after surgery, I gained two pounds. And I should have lost. Whatever. So... You know, nothing has changed. I eat the same food I always eat. I may change a few things because of research that's been done about drink this juice or, you know, things that help your cancer. But as a matter of fact, I go down the list of my food, my behaviors, the way I think. And I can check off almost everything, you know, okay, I'm going to tell you I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian on and off for 50 years. I have been a perfect vegetarian for 28 years. And I was hanging on to cheese, but, you know, they say don't eat cheese. So, you know, but it, my cancer didn't make me want to eat any more or any less. Because eating is not a recreational activity for me. You know, it's like I need fuel. You know, the, the tank gets empty, I go to the gas station. 
I don't mess around. I buy the same gas all the time. That's the kind my car likes. That's what the manufacturer said to use. That's what I do. I don't rejoice when I fill my car with gas. It doesn't jump <laughs> up like yippee, yippee. No, it says, oh, okay, I can go now. So anyway, I hope that gave you an idea. Right, and Ainsley? Okay, we've only got like a minute and a half left. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, thank you for your share. Um, I love hearing you talk. And I wanted to ask you um, if there's a particular way you work the steps with your sponsees or if you vary it or that in, in one minute. Okay, one minute, I basically do. The first time I get a sponsor, a sponsee, I have them get the the OA 12 and 12 and the OA 12 and 12 workbook. And that's what we do. And I assign them to do the first step. You know, I'm a very laid back sponsor after being controlling of my family and controlling in the workplace. If they want the recovery, they're going to do it. If they don't want the recovery, if they don't want to call, I don't say anything. I just let them figure out what's going on. But I do it as it's outlined in our workbook. Now, there are other ways of doing the steps and people I know have done workshops with that person and you get a lot of very specific questions to ask, especially on the fourth step. And I sometimes use that, but not the first time through the steps. The first time through the steps, we just do it the vanilla way the book says to do it. And that seems to be the easiest. Thank you. And that's time. <laughs> Perfect.